Last time I forgot to unmute, but I think we're I think we're unmuted now. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Hopefully, uh, we have a guest today, which I am super excited about. This is Dr. Patrick O'Connor, uh, and he is here with us today. Patrick is a former therapist who's been teaching psychology in higher education for seven years. Uh, he he uses there you go. <laughs> he uses gamification in his introductory psychology courses, and has published research on how the gamification how gamification improves the classroom experience for students. He also advises teachers, parents, and therapists on how video games and tabletop games can be used in creative ways to develop social skills and strengthening family bonds, which I am super excited to talk about tonight. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, I've got some got yeah. some stuff for that. Sweet. Ink Attack. Ooh, I like that name, Ink Attack. That's great. <laughs> Storm Cloud, how are you? Uh, so for everybody who's here in chat, we do have a queue open. It is exclamation point Q, um, and then follow it with your question. Let me make sure that it's open. I'm pretty sure that it is. Y'all, I am so professional right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is me the start of every stream. First like five or ten minutes is just like, wait, what? Wait, 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 this yeah. no. I mean, unfortunately, it's it's me the whole stream, so Yeah. <laughs> I once broadcast for an hour playing a game and it was only my voice audio, no game audio the no entire audio. time. No one told me. <laughs> I, you know, I'm pretty sure I've had that happen too. Actually. <laughs> oh, I just want love. You know what? You get love. It, you get everybody gets love here everybody okay the queue is on yay awesome excellent good deal so with that being said if you have a question thank you for that host geek therapy i appreciate it if you have a question for patrick um you are welcome to type exclamation point Q and follow with your question and I will it will put it into a queue I'll be able to ask it and clear it out there is one question per person until the queue is cleared out but I am watching chat also so if like if you have more than one question you just put it in chat it's okay too we have a few um, questions lined up already that are kind of pre-sent pre-thought through so we'll get through those and mm -hmm. if your question doesn't come up in those then we'll get to those at the end too um, so as we go through these interview type questions, anything you have that's related, just pop it into the queue. Mooncap, hello, hello. Ooh, already with the good questions, y'all. Holy cow. Okay, all right. We're just gonna, let me start off with an easy question first. Did you grow up gaming? I did. Um, I've been gaming my whole life, and uh, there's a story that, that I like to tell about that when uh, there's more my dad tells me because I don't really remember it, but when I was uh, six years old, I wanted a Nintendo Entertainment System really, really badly. I've been playing different systems at my cousin's houses, and uh, and I, I knew I, like, I wanted my first console. Uh, but I, uh, my parents wanted me to get my tonsils taken out, and I was really scared of the surgery. I didn't want to go under. And so my grandmother made me a promise. She said, if you go through this surgery, I'll buy you an NES. I said, you got it. So, uh, so I guess I, I went through the surgery, and the uh, when I came out of the anesthesia, my first words were, "Did she get it?" Oh. In this little <laughs> mousy voice, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, Grandma got the NES. <laughs> so, yeah, from from then, that's just been my my life is uh, for for recreation, for fun, has been with Mario, with Sonic, uh, with uh, PlayStation line, uh, Twisted Metal. World of Warcraft. I mean, it's it's been my primary go-to recreation for as long as I can remember. 
I like it. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that in, that gaming is inherently good or inherently bad? And if there is a line between kind of good gaming and bad gaming, where is that line for you, in your opinion? Yeah, I, I think gaming is inherently good. And I want to kind of zoom out, though, on that just a little bit, where I think if we include gaming uh, and we include, like, sports and chess and and tag, you know, on the playground and, uh, and of course, video games, mobile games, I mean, gaming as a concept, I think, is inherently good. I think it's about skill building. I think it's about patience. I think it's about working within uh, the confines of a rule set that you have for whatever your game is, you know, and... Um, Someone touches you and you're it. Now you have to be the one to touch somebody else. And that, that's the rule. That's you can't just, you know, no, no tag backs. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's always going to be some kind of rule like, okay, and you have to abide by them. Yeah. And I think that that's a good practice for life. And whether you're a child or an adult, that's always good to kind of just, just connect with. It's fun. Um, as for bad gaming, I think it depends more so on a case-by-case basis in terms of the person playing the game as well as the situation that they're playing that game in, not the game itself. Um, you know, For example, somebody who is, uh, is feeling frustrated at a certain level that they're playing and they keep dying, things aren't working out, it seems impossible, they want to keep going, but they're feeling miserable, they're feeling angry, frustrated, and anxious, just knowing that that's a time maybe to pause and to put it down, right? To save, move on, do something else. For a lot of people, that's that's hard to do. And for some people, maybe don't even realize that that's something you can do is, yeah. well, I, I have my hour of free time. I should be spending it having fun playing my game. I, I, you know, I can't do this any other time. But if that hour is going to be in misery, recognize that, set aside, and connect with it when you're in a better mindset. So I think that bad gaming really is more about the the person and like what they're bringing to the situation and, and how they're approaching it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a, that is a really good answer. And I, lo- I love hearing you say that it's not necessarily the games that are make a bad gaming situation, but kind of the person in their own personal situation. Um, I think that that's really that's really spot on and something that I like that you put into that perspective. Um, I found something really neat today uh, that talked about that everyone's a gamer. And while I, I don't think that everyone necessarily is a gamer, like my husband would flat out tell you he is not a gamer. Mm-hmm. However, I did catch him playing a little game on his phone the other day. <laughs> a game's a game's a game. So. I know, I know. So it's yeah. like whether you're playing Candy Crush, you know, or or you're waiting for the next um, RuneScape update or, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Uh, so we do have a question from Stormcloud, and that is, what are your thoughts on managing video game addiction and your thoughts on how to handle it? Oof. Yeah, big question. So, big question. Um, yeah, yeah, I love it. There, uh, video game addiction is is tough to talk about because, uh, as I mentioned before, I think it's about kind of a case by case basis, and that for um, with something like to call something an addiction means that it has to cause a problem. Um, somebody can play a game. To 12 hours a day, eight hours a day, or what have you. But if it's somebody who's playing on the Overwatch League, right, and they're on a team, I mean, that's their job. And, so, and we're not going to call that an addiction. Yeah. Similarly, if you are in college and you're taking a full load of classes and you're getting A's and B's and you're progressing along just fine and you're spending eight hours a day playing a game, where's the problem? So what we have to look at is, is 
something further than just the time sink. Like what, you know, the amount of time being invested isn't just the definition of gaming addiction. We have to look at it being pathological. So is the person suffering their personal relationships? In this case, online and offline. Maybe somebody doesn't have very many offline friends, but online they have a whole community they belong to. Sounds great to me. Maybe uh, there's an issue with regard to like personal hygiene. Then that can be a problem. Um, if you're not showering on a regular basis, taking care of yourself because of the gaming, you're not eating well, right? You're not eating regularly. Those are signs when it can be a problem. So I think it's more about looking for uh, clear evidence in the person's life that um, that, that gaming is hindering that person's ability to function, whether it's taking care of themselves, connecting with others, performing on the job or in school, uh, then we can start to talk about it being addictive. As for treating it or kind of what we can do about it, my question that would become, to what purpose does that game serve for that person? For a lot of people, gaming is wonderful because the rules are clear, the feedback is clear, right? And the world is vague and the feedback is vague. So a game can be really wonderful to say, I know when I've accomplished something, but maybe in my work or in school or even something else, like I write a paper and I submit it to the professor, it comes back, I got a D, I thought I did what I was supposed to, it doesn't make any sense to me. And it was two weeks after I was done and it's right. And so that can be a bit tougher. So does the gaming serve a purpose in that person's kind of confidence and control over life? If so, if we just yank that out and say, hey, you can't game because it's getting in the way of things, the person's going to feel out of control and like that there's not much that's giving them much happiness in life. So um, in terms of treatment, I think, again, I hate to say it kind of goes back to case by case in terms of do we talk about scaling back, change in the games? Um, do I need to like, you know, do we need to like observe the gaming behavior? Um, do we need to interview other people and seeing like what's, you know, in that person's life? What's your perspective on this person gaming the way that they do? Um, there, there's really a lot of factors that go into uh, kind of approaching that diagnosis and then how we would work with treating it. I think that that's great. So I'm kind of hearing you say that it depends on the person. It depends on the situation, how you would handle it kind mm -hmm. of thing. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, this one's not a question, but Fiona just says it makes me happy and makes me feel so validated when professional adults speak practically and positively about playing games and having online friends, especially without also saying, <laughs> well, you should try to find more people IRL or whatever. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah that's awesome well thanks for thinking i'm professional <laughs> <laughs> i mean you are the one with the pro above your name so. right that's true that's true yeah mm -hmm. uh, uh default skin can we swear no this is a christian family stream are you talking about yes of course you can i'm just kidding it's not um oh, <laughs> yeah right oh, we're, we're screwed <laughs> uh okay so ink attack has a question as well oh, still i still love that name that's a great name mm -hmm. are you a right i just i have to ask ink attack are you a writer? Is that what that is? Are you a writer? Please tell me you're a writer because that's perfect. Uh, says so share a fun story about your Psych 101 gamified course. Mm. Oh, a fun story. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, one of my favorites was uh, um, so I know, like, I'm hoping, yeah, soon I know we'll get to talk about the course and kind of the structure yeah. of it. So I hope I'll try to talk about it without, like, uh, uh, you can go into that now. Much, so you say. can go into that yeah. now if you want. That's totally okay. fine. Okay. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's kind of a lot. So, um, okay. So I'll, so the way gamification works in the class is, uh, students do what I say is like an upward progression instead of being a, a sort of fighting, fighting losses. In traditional grading, everyone starts at 100%. And then basically, as you get things wrong, you can't ever get those points back. 
Um, as soon as you get one question wrong on the very first quiz, assuming there's no extra credit, you will never, ever, ever get that 100% at the end of the course. For a lot of people, it doesn't really matter, right? Oh, no, I can't get 100. But it starts adding up, and now your average gets to be an 85, and you got like three weeks left in the semester, and you really wanted that A. Is it even mathematically possible? And I hated that feeling myself as a student, and I hate seeing that in students and thinking that there's a point in my time in this course where it's the point of no return, and there's nothing I can do about it. And so uh, what, I, what it is is I, I reverse that and I say, okay, we're all failing. Sorry, you're all getting ups in this class on day one. Um, and you're going to be failing for about two thirds of the semester because everyone starts at zero and then all the points you get accumulate to go upward, just like you're leveling up in a game. Basically, you're getting XP. That's what I call it in a class. I so you gain this. XP. <laughs> Thanks. So you get XP for everything you do. There's, um, in my course, it's going to sound like a lot, but it's by design. There's 39 quizzes, two exams, two 15-minute presentations. There's six papers that are four to six pages each. Um, there's 13 in-class activities, plus the book readings and videos and, and all that, just for one course. And, and there's more. There's a secret mission. There's all kinds of stuff. Uh, but that's by design, because I, the idea is I'm going to give you too much work and then your job is going to be to do the right amount of work to get you the grade you want. So if you have one bad day, so you get a, you actually failed a midterm exam and it was worth 500 points and you got 250, that's not the end of the world because there's going to be tons of quizzes online or more papers that if you wrote those or did more quizzes, you did other work elsewhere, that's just going to keep sending you up that ladder. Just like if you're leveling up and you go into a dungeon using like, like World, uh, World of Warcraft kind of references here, if there's a dungeon that's too high a level for me to go into, I'm going to go out and kill some boars and some gnolls and, you know, harvest or something. I'm going to do other stuff to level up my guy to the point where now I'm strong enough that I can actually face it. And so I just apply that to the design of the course. So with that in mind, I, I tell the students that everything is optional, the whole course, everything. You can literally skip every exam and still get an A. You can skip all the papers and get an A. You just have to pick what are you skipping and what are you going to capitalize on based on your strengths. So I had a student, uh, so back to the original question around a, um, a student uh, story was they, uh, uh, I was reading about gamification and that the people who were talking about it were saying that you should anticipate students are going to game the system. That's what happens. When you make a game, people are going to game your game. Sure. And they're going to try to, they're going to try to cheat. They're going to mm -hmm. look for shortcuts. So uh, you have to anticipate that. So I, I tried to. I ran all these simulations of you know fake students and you know different timings of turn, turning things in or trying different bonuses I give out and and it seemed like it was pretty good. This one student was performing you know, very well in class, and she had a, a uh, we had a midterm exam and then there were um, papers due right after the midterm, like 48 hours after the midterm was uh, the first batch of papers were due. That's like one of the only due dates I have in the semester. So. Um, so she she comes to me on the side and she says, uh, when do you plan on grading that midterm? And I said, oh, it's, it's probably going to come in that day. Why? And she said, oh, well, I noticed that um, if I write extra long, basically you add two pages of length to your minimum page requirement, the XP for your paper doubles. But you can't unlock that until you reach a certain point in your XP. So she said, I picked a topic I love to write about and I wrote a lot about it. So what she did was she waited until her midterm exam grade got put in the grade book and she had a 48 hour period where she could then upload it and send it in and get that boost to the XP immediately. That if she would have waited too long, she wouldn't have been able to get any of the XP, but she was yeah. planning on it. She was watching that book closely. And I loved 
that she gamed that system, that yeah, she figured absolutely. out the timing. Yeah, because then she got the bonus points. She did really, really well. And she ended up being one of the best students in the course because she was always tracking where she was and how she was doing constantly. It was super, yeah. super cool seeing someone so invested in their grade, you know? Well, and that that's like a life skill, too. I mean, it's not even uh, gaming the system necessarily, but if you know that your boss is in a good mood and you could help them by doing something and you can wait until they are in a good mood to ask them for something, that's kind of gaming the system anyway. If she's got that figured out already, good for her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was There's some study that said uh, that when it comes to judges and convictions, they hand out more convictions before lunch than after lunch, right? Because they're oh, hungry and they're oh, miserable. Yeah, yeah. I don't love that, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So same kind of thing. Maybe talk to your lunch after... You know, talk to your boss, sorry, after lunch and yes. not before lunch. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, Timing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, now everyone wants to take your class. Like, they're talking about the secret mission, and I'm not... Mooncap says I'm not even in school anymore, and I want to take this class. <laughs> oh, thank you. This is all sounding great. Uh, Mooncap has a question. What is your favorite game? Um, ooh, that's tough. Right now, it's Apex Legends, and uh, in the past, it's been uh, both Titanfall games. Uh, my good friend, Josue Cardona, he founded Geek Therapy, and he told me once about this game called Titanfall that was coming out, and I, and I hadn't heard of it. And he's like, what is this? It's supposed to be amazing. It's all over the news and stuff. And so I looked it up, and I was like, oh, my God, I used to love, like, MechWarrior, Battletech, and I love shooters and stuff, and Modern Warfare 2. It's the same people. And All right, I'll try this out. Ended up being the one game I probably sunk more hours into than almost any other, maybe aside from <laughs> World of Warcraft, but that's, I think everybody who played that game put a bit too much time into it. Um, so, yeah, I'd say for at least the last... Uh, uh, four or five, I don't know if the last one came out, um, probably five years or so, has been Titanfall 1, Titanfall 2, and now Apex Legends. I just, I love them so much. I love the feel of those games. Yeah, I have a really good friend who absolutely loves Apex Legends. I've played it a couple times, and it is a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm one of those people who, you know, like, my name should just be missed in the in the game, because everything I try to shoot, it just, I don't know where the bullets yeah, go. Yeah, just sails right by, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, is the OG time vampire game. <laughs> yeah. Titanfall and Apex. Hey, J-Card, how are you today? Okay, we do have um, another question. If we haven't covered this already, do you have any ideas why there aren't more things in, stru- more things in life structured the way your class is structured? Brains respond well to positive reinforcement and like an, uh, an upward gain. So why are there so many systems that rely on a failure point? That's a good that's a good question. That's a big question, but a good one. Yeah. So there's kind of a, a tricky couple answers to that. Number one is um, there is a lot that's structured that way. It's just that that's it's done so in the business world. Uh, a lot of companies have figured out through their customer reward systems that they can manipulate customer behavior based on positive reinforcement. So uh, I'm sure if I grabbed my Starbucks app on my phone right now, I would see some sort of offer that said, hey, if you just buy two mochas in the next five days, we'll give you a few more uh, stars in your account. That's gamification, because if I do this a little bit, I get a little bonus, get a little closer to my next free flavor shot or my next free drink or whatever it is. Um, BP has the reward system and Shell, right? The gas stations do. You've got um, Meyer, if, if you're familiar with that uh, a grocery chain. I mean, every so many different companies have some sort of customer reward program with bonuses and level ups and do this, do that, track your, how your rewards and stuff. 
and uh, and that's gamification. So um, we have it in the consumer world for sure. It's very robust there. As for our lives, I really want to uh, make a great recommendation, which is a book called Super Better by Jane McGonigal. Um, it's a it's a, a small part autobiography and another part about this sort of bringing gamification to life. That in short, um, Jane had uh, I believe it was a concussion she suffered from. And she was a gamer her whole life, and she's an academic, and she was told by her doctors, you can't play any games, you can't read, and she's a runner, a marathon runner, you can't read, you can't play uh, games, and you can't run, because you could do serious damage to your brain, she, get, she would get vertigo, and uh, it, was, it was horrible, so she was essentially bedridden. And because she has a background in game design, she basically designed her own gamified version of her life. And she had her friends holding her accountable who would act sort of almost like uh, guards for different levels and power-ups and stuff and saying, okay, we're going to try this this week. We're going to work on this. And she had evidence from her, just uh, feedback, I should say, from her physician saying that her recovery was incredible and really fast. And now she does, she conducts research on that on implementing super better into people's lives for rehabilitative purposes. Um, so it's a really fantastic resource to learn about how you can gamify your life for, for kind of anything. So uh, right before you said Jane McGonigal, J-Card put what, uh, that's what reality is broken about written by Jane McGonigal. Yep. <laughs> In yeah, the yep, chat. That's so another great there's, book. There's another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's another great resource for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what inspired you to get into mental health? What inspired you to get into education? Kind of why do you do what you do? Yeah, yeah. Um, when I was 12 years old, my, my uh, parents got divorced and I became this kind of really nasty kid. All of a sudden, I was doing okay in school at first, but then uh, everything just kind of went downhill. So they sent me to therapy. And it was in therapy that I discovered psychology as a science um, because science classes before that were about dissecting worms and measuring wind speed and talking <laughs> about chemicals. And yeah, I was like, oh, wait, there's a science of like thoughts, feelings and actions. That's wild. So I started reading a lot of psychology on the side. It kind of became a hobby um, because my grades still were terrible in, in school. And uh, and so I kind of got to a point of deciding I had to decide, is this something I'm going to have as sort of a, a hobby that I just read about on the side? Or is this something I'm going to actually dedicate to part of my life to? I went to community college and it was a wonderful place to, to kind of learn how to be a student again and how to take something like that seriously. And it was there that I realized that uh, to take something that is sort of like a hobby or something that's like a side interest and to really connect and to connect with people who've been into that interest for like decades is incredible of like oh my god you've been into psychology for 20 years of your life or 30 years and i've only been into it for like five or ten and and so what can i learn from you and i didn't know about that study or this study or this classic you know experiment so it's kind of been just a, a, a geeky passion of mine since i was a kid um, as for mental health, I've always been kind of the helper in my friendship groups and, and uh, you know, just uh, uh, talking to people about relationship problems and whatnot. So it seemed like just kind of a natural personality fit. And then regarding education, it began as a, a way to make ends meet and then turned into something that was um, uh, uh, something I thought was, was incredible because I, I used to have really horrible public speaking anxiety like I'd sweat terribly, and if you gave me a, a 15 minute prompt, I would I'd be done in seven. So I'd fly right through it. I just want to sit down. I'd be shaking, Word. and um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And uh, and then all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second, why did I just take a job where I basically have to talk for three hours in front of people every week for 16 <laughs> weeks? Like, oh my god, that's not all I do, but still, it's like that you've seen that on the horizon, you know? Like, oh my god. Um, but, but after the first day, it's like, wait a second, I'm talking about my favorite topic every single day. I get to t- talk to people about like those classic studies and these incredible areas of psychology and subfields and stuff. So, uh, so it began as just kind of like by accident. And then once I got into it, I loved it. And that's what led to my transition then from uh, therapy to academia. Now I'm looking to kind of get back into doing therapy. But uh, for, for uh, seven years, yeah, I've been just focused on uh, the academic side because I just, I don't know, I, I, it, psychology has always been there for me. And I just love sharing that with other people. I, I can talk endlessly about it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, it's it's interesting to me because most of the people that I talk to, their backstory, if you will, um, to kind of borrow from borrow from gaming world there a little bit or or authorship, mm-hmm. um, has something to do with well I went through this experience I went through this in my mind really negative experience um, or I went through something that was really hard for me and that's what kind of inspired me to be where I am today, um, and that's. That's something to me that is just such a, a light because as you are going through something that's really hard, you never know what could be kind of that next step that takes you to where you want to be in 10 years you know, from now. You'll be super happy with where you are. Uh, so I, Absolutely. I love that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I, no, sorry, go no, ahead. No, no, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was quickly going to say that there's a project that I do in one of my, um, in, in my lifespan class, human development, and uh, I asked some uh, students to kind of process a bit of like end of life issues if you were to pass away within this uh, next six months what how would you think about your life you know think about your life as being like a, a book um if you were to read from the very beginning of your life like the beginning of that book and you went all the way through to the end and you've got maybe like 10 pages left to write how happy are you with that book that you've written and what do you want to do for the next 10 pages and one of the questions I ask students to, con- to contemplate is um if you if i were to ask you five years ago where would you be in five years? Would you say where you are today? You know, think back to yeah. 10, 10 years ago. If I asked you where, where would you be in 10 years, would you say where you are now? And what's kind of good and bad about that? And what have you learned kind of about that path since then? I really love that kind of thinking about like you don't really know what decisions you're making now are going to set your, set you on, on any kind of path and where it's really going to go. We, you know, we think we do, but it's, it's yeah, there's just so much to know, so much ahead of us. We just don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And that and that's not to say that what somebody is going through isn't super hard or, or super emotional. Um, right. But it's just if you can take that step back and, and look at it that way, yeah. even right mm-hmm. after, you know, even right after, that's sometimes really helpful. By Marks yeah. is creating D&D characters with in-depth backstories really shows how hard it is to motivate positive change without negative events. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not really interesting to make a, a D&D character who's like, he's had a great life, you know, yeah. things are going well. and Everything's I'm sure things will, Yeah, it's just going to keep going well, I'm sure, you know, everything's going to be great. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no problems here, I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I got bored one day, like a mm-hmm. hobbit. Um, <laughs> so, Link Attack, it's not Ink Attack, it is Link Attack. I'm, uh, I'm sorry I mispronounced your name, also a little bit disappointed that it's not Ink Attack and you're some sort of author, but it's okay. We'll, we'll get along fine, it's fine. Uh, ask, do you ha- do any sort of mentorship? Do I, do I do any mentorship myself? I, I think so, yes. 
Yeah, I'm always help, happy to talk to uh, people who are uh, either new to, to higher education um, or are new to, uh, to looking to entering the therapy field. Um, for a long time, I was teaching at the uh, graduate level, teaching students who were going to become therapists, uh, counselors and psychologists in a master's program and a doctoral program and helping them kind of find their voice and helping them kind of find their comfort in working with others when those others are, are um, going to be asked to share some deeply personal details with you. And how do you sort of prepare yourself to hear those things and how do you prepare yourself to react to those things? At the same time, the, the therapy experience is between two people. It's not just the client who's there, of course, the therapist as well. And so to what extent do you bring yourself into session? I love having that conversation with, uh, with current therapists and future therapists is thinking about um, do you view yourself as a blank slate and you want absolutely as, as little as possible of your personality? I personally don't ascribe to that. Uh, or on the other side, do you want to like let yourself out and have everything around your, your office being reflective of you and, and you kind of owning that environment and uh, as well as, you know, kind of proudly showing someone like this is who I am this is who you're working with and uh, and then you can ha I think have a bit more of a genuine and deeper connection with people so I I love uh, yeah I love working with others and at least sharing my perspective um, if, if you know someone's open to hear it I think that's great so mm -hmm. is there do mm -hmm. most universities have a sort of formal mentorship program for students going through those psychology programs is that pretty typical uh, yes and no. So some some do. It's uh, a lot of it's kind of left up to. In my experience, it's been mostly left up to the individual instructors or students to kind of find those relationships. Um, it could be in a student group that has a faculty lead. So maybe you network with other students, but then you also have that faculty person who uh, has a bit more experience or has been in the field who can kind of lend their expertise when needed or help with like their network if something needs to be done, you know, on a bigger scale or something. Um, or it could be, uh, uh, sometimes I would get emails from students saying like, hey, I, I've heard from somebody that you're into comics or into gaming and uh, no other faculty is. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, I really want to bounce this idea off of you for a dissertation. And so I've mentored students in that way too, is uh, serving on their dissertation committees. Uh, but yeah, there's there are a lot of different ways that, that it can be done, but uh, it generally, it's mostly kind of left up to people to find themselves, and at least in my experience. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, is gamification a trend you see increasing in higher education? Is that something that's becoming kind of more and more common? Or is this kind of still a groundbreaking area um, for education? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. It's, it's strange, admittedly. Um, when, when I conducted the, the study that just came out, um, it was, uh, I did so with, with my friend Jose Cardona. We, we had this, uh, we were looking for research on gamification in a community college setting, and we just kind of really couldn't find much. We couldn't find anything that, that said, this is what we did in implementing gamification in a community college setting. So we called our study a pilot study because it seemed like it was the first of its kind of, this is how we methodically implemented gamification into an intro to psych class in a community college. Um, so in that regard, it seems like it's very new. On the other hand, when I go to teaching conventions or conferences, I should say, I mostly go to conventions. I forget that sometimes I go to conferences too. <laughs> um, is uh, uh, when I go to these teaching conferences, I'll, I'll often see one or two sessions that are dedicated to, to gamification on there. 
So it's and and when I've talked to organizers about it, they say, "Oh yeah, we usually do have have someone." You know, it's it's a topic that's always kind of there. And so my 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 personal kind of feel for that is that there are a handful of people who are trying it, but I don't think they're finding each other very, very well. <laughs> and the and the other part of that, so it's hard to network and it's hard to share ideas. And the other part of that is it seems like it's it's a little difficult maybe to convince somebody else to adopt your idea for how to structure a classroom because yeah. I think being a, a, a teacher especially in higher ed is a very personal kind of expression of how you conduct your classroom and what projects you have and and how you right. connect with your student yeah so it can be a bit difficult to talk to a chemistry professor and say hey this is what I did in my psych class do it in chemistry too and it should be fine yeah. um, I'm sure you could do exactly what I did right um, so there's certainly there are a lot of hurdles to kind of bringing other people on board to the idea, but uh, but the students love it uh, absolutely. Over ninety percent of students I survey them every semester. Over ninety percent uh, every class says I wish more classes were structured this way. Um, but again, they're just it's it's hard to tell someone else. Hey, do you do you mind completely restructuring the way you teach so right. you can do this? <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, host. Okay, so J Card is Hostway. There we go. Uh, he says, "I find the non-gamers don't understand the core principles that really work." But in K twelve, there's a lot of software. You are leading straight into my next question, good sir. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of software that has gamification built in, but it's not well implemented. Uh, non-gamer teachers don't get it. Yeah. So that is my next question: Is what about elementary education? Is this a trend that is pushing into the K-12 space. Do you think that there's room for that in public ex education specifically? Do you think that there would ever be a change um, to go towards that at all? It, it seems like there's more research on gamification in the K-12 through range. And I think that uh, they have a unique, uh, K-12 through teachers have a unique challenge where they have to kind of run things by their principal, by yeah. administration, basically, and get approved mm -hmm. and say, is it okay if I dedicate everything, you know, this whole time? The very first semester I ran gamification, I made this kind of promise to myself that if by the midterm my students are struggling, like, that's still pretty late. I, I didn't really want to wait halfway, but that was like my no later than. I would kind of, you know, visit more like a quarter or a third of the way in. But if I get to a certain point, and my students are really doing poorly or just not getting it, if it's not going well, I absolutely need to revert back to what I was doing mm -hmm. and have all yeah. the structures in place so I could do that. And uh, and, that, and that gets tough when you have kids for longer periods of the day, five days a week. How do you sort of do something new and then get ready to revert back if it's not working? How long do you sort of stick with that? You know that that um, stick with that horse in that race of like, well, they'll catch up. It'll it'll work right. eventually. You know, things will go okay eventually. Um, so yeah, there seems to be a lot more interest, I think, K through twelve. And like Osway said, it's uh, there's more resources for that. But it's just back to kind of convent, convincing people who um, don't view themselves as gamers that something like this is worthwhile. And you know, that's where these studies can come in and saying students find value in it, and if you can deliver it to them, they'll find value in your courses and in yeah. what you're doing too. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to drive something um, based on the students versus what the teacher actually wants to do, right? I mean, yeah, there might be this big need for it, um, but it's really hard to convince to convince them that that's the way right. that it it could work. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because yeah. I mean, I, a lot of people, a lot of times, people have these like just preconceived notions in their heads, um, which leads into Fiona's question, which is, how would you recommend gamers explain gamification to folks who don't? 
game? Um, I would point to what I mentioned before, some of those examples like the Starbucks, Stars card or uh, BP or Shell, any of those gas stations yeah. that have like rewards cards, uh, Best Buy rewards cards. You know, there are so many, even like points on your uh, on your credit card. You know, they're saying like, oh, we'll give you more points if you, you spend it on gas or something. That's that's all some form of gamification. And the idea is, um, at its, I'm going to really, really oversimplify it, but at its <laughs> core, it's essentially trying to change your behavior so you can get an, a desirable outcome. So really both parties get a desirable yeah. outcome. Starbucks yeah. wants you to go there more often and you want to get drinks for free sooner, you know? Um, I don't want to have to get 15 drinks to get one for free. Wouldn't it be nice if I can get seven and then get one free? Well, I just have to go in a certain way and buy these certain drinks at these certain times, and then I can do that, right? Yeah. So that's what gamification is. It's just uh, you can talk about it in a gaming sense, or you can just talk about it in, in terms of having incentives. Uh, a, a company or group, a teacher, or organization, whatever, lays out incentives and says, if you do these things, this is what you will earn along the way. And that alone often motivates people to change their behaviors. Yeah, I mean, even, um, you know, if you want to just not look at just loyalty for Starbucks, you mentioned the gas cards, but we have, um, I think it's Albertsons, where they do, if you buy groceries here, you earn points that you can use either on your groceries or you can use them on our gas. By the way, we sell gas. Did you know we sell gas? You know? Right. It keeps you all in their little ecosystem. Yeah, Absolutely. it does. It does. So it's, it's kind of, they're directing you to buy this thing that you might not have even really been aware that they had available. Um, I mm -hmm. use an app to subscribe to it's a clothing subscription called Gwinny V and yeah. they will send me a notification on my phone and say hey if you closet 10 more things today we'll give you 100 points <laughs> you know and it, it, then you use that for discounts off of things that you eventually buy so but then mm -hmm. as you're closeting those things it's kind of holding you in there and if you were thinking about canceling which at one point I was and I never did um, <laughs> if you're thinking about canceling now you've just closeted all this stuff that you really actually like and you really actually want to wear so you have to stay with them Mm -hmm. um, you know, like you know who's a, a really big proponent of this too is Kohl's. Uh, if yeah. you go to Kohl's and you have their Kohl's cash, but you buy on a certain day, they have a discount. You look and they have the you know thirty percent off. But if you use this card, you'll get an extra ten percent. But if you do this, you get this other thing. Then mm -hmm. today only you can get right. And in a way, it leads to a, a feeling of accomplishment because you could say, well, the tag said it was twenty five, but because I had this coupon and my app and I signed in and I did this other thing, I did whatever. This twenty five dollar thing now is all of a sudden just twelve. I you know you feel so accomplished like yeah, you absolutely. like personally did the work to save that money. Yeah. Yeah. And and then they get you with the uh, you got to do it before this certain date. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, then it all expires by this date. So make sure you get in real right, soon. So you get in, and, so yeah. get in there. Mm -hmm. She says that was really helpful. Thank you, especially pointing out that it's already happening and people are already participating in it, even if they didn't realize. I think that's a that's a really good point. Um, yeah. Postway says they worked in schools in which the entire schools had the software pushed on them. Yes, does not usually go well, right? Because you have some of those teachers who they're just not open to it. They're not. Oh, Maybe it's not that they're not open to it. Maybe they're just not ready for it yet. You know, maybe they need to see mm. it work in someone else's classroom who's teaching the same subject as them. But that's a really good yeah. point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so switching gears a, a tiny little bit here off of kind of the education aspect of it and more on the connections piece of it. Um, I know that my kids and I really connect over playing board games. We are pretty competitive family, meaning I'm a pretty competitive person. I'll be honest, it's me. <laughs> 
I'm the competitive one. Uh, so, you know, every time we go on a vacation, we take two board games, one that we've played before, usually Monopoly or Risk or something like that, and then one that we haven't to try as a family. Um, and that has really strengthened kind of our, our bonds a little bit because we have these ongoing jokes about it and you know they'll mention it and they'll be like oh god mom's just gonna win at this again <laughs> and then i have to let them win which is not right not easy not easy for me to do uh so we i've definitely seen that through tabletop games and then with video games uh you know it's been a really nice connection point to have with my kids where they say something about a new video game they're playing or something that I've played and they'll talk to me about it. It's just nice, nice to be able to kind of speak the same language. Yeah, Bite Mark says, you competitive? Mm -hmm. Never. She's my sister, by the way. <laughs> so she knows. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but are there, are there some good examples of games strengthening social skills that you could share or maybe um, bonds outside of family? or bonds across generations and family any of any of those yeah sure um i have a, a really concrete example of a way that um i adapted a game to teach uh, a kind of a, a very simple social skill that was uh that kind of solved a, a, a kind of common problem i think for a lot of families um, it was a, a game that i called controllers down and with controllers down what happened is uh, i was running the social skills gaming group it had about eight kids in it and they were playing Mario Kart at the time. It was uh, it was on the Wii, and uh, and so we they play Mario Kart, and I told the kids that they'd be racing each other. And uh, what would happen is I would say at a random point, controllers down, so they have to put it down and they have to hold up their hands and they can't pause it. So right, you're in first place. Maybe you put it down. All of a sudden, you see second place, third place, fourth place. And you're sitting there. And I say controllers up. You grab it. And you go back into racing. And so the kids would start racing, I'd call, and I would usually do that two or three times per race. And then eventually I would say, all right, for this next race, I'm going to give a warning. I'm going to say 30 seconds until controller's down, then 20, then 10, then 5, and then controller's down. So we would do that, give a warning, and you'd see sometimes the kids would sit there and like, oh, they'd get their, their red shell, but maybe they would hold it, or they would go like park, or, you know, they would kind of anticipate it. And others still looked pretty antsy and still kind of nervous and just hated to have their controller go down. Now, something that was uh, kind of special about this, this um, activity was Mario Kart employs something called rubber banding, where uh, at least if you have it on the easy mode, Basically, that um, if the whole pack of racers, if like you're pulling ahead of them, you're pulling the rubber band real tight, and so all the computer racers will catch up to you. But if you slow down and they catch up to you, it's just like a rubber band where it's gonna you know release all attention and be kind of dead. And all those racers, as much as they sped you know sped by you, are gonna slow down a lot. Mm -hmm. So now because now you're pulling the other way, so it's actually really easy to catch up. And I don't tell the kids that, and right. I don't think they know that. <laughs> yeah. So as much as they're sweating, like, oh, my God, I'm in sixth place now. It, before the next lap, they'd be back in first again. So uh, so I knew that it was one of those things where it was temporary frustration, basically. And I wanted to see what yeah. would happen with, like, how, how does this work out? So we get to the end. And I'll, and I'll be honest, this is a, a moment that I learned something, of course, like therapists always learn from their clients, but this is a very clear moment where I thought for sure I knew where we were going and my clients showed me differently uh, because I, I figured that they would all want the warning. Uh, who wouldn't, of course, like, yeah, tell me so I can plan and get ready mm -hmm. for when some controllers yeah. down. Yeah. By the end of it, half the kids said that they hated the warning <laughs> and that the other half really? said they loved it. Yeah, because uh, what I learned was that 
some kids want it to be just like a band-aid just rip it off just tell me mm-hmm. that it's done and then it'll be done others it, you know but those same kids if we warn them it's just kind of builds up anxiety just when is it going to be i don't know what five minutes is i don't know what 30 minutes i mean i guess but what if i'm in the middle and it's uh, just tell me that i'm done i'll hit save and we'll get out of here and other kids though they really want that warning so they can anticipate and get ready for that and so with that activity then that gave us feedback that we could send with their the child home with their parents and say your child showed in in group today that they appreciated having a warning or your child showed they really didn't want a warning imagine the kid who doesn't want the warning who just wants to be told that it's done maybe their parents think maybe they're like me and they're like oh i should always give a 10 minute warning a 15 minute warning or Mm -hmm. five minute warning and maybe that really is actually making it worse and they don't realize it or flip it around and there's parents who are just like, hey, we got to go to dinner right now. You got to shut down, get rid of it. And that now I'm in the middle of something. I don't, right. I don't, know, yeah. you know, I don't know what to do. So it's about kind of finding finding that that match. Right. And kind of knowing having that feedback can really be big on improving communication between kids and their parents and saying, um, do you want a warning before we have to go somewhere? Um, in which case, the parents have to stick to it. Then don't just say right. in 20 minutes and then you're on your phone for an hour. Um, so, you know, do, does the child work well with the warning or not? And is that something that now you can both kind of stick to and see if we can make that part of life just a little bit easier of how to kind of pull kids off of games when it's time to do something else? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fiona says, I prefer mm-hmm. having a warning with story-based games so I can plan to finish a thing in time for the done time. I, I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it might depend on what kind of game you're playing, too. Yeah, um, yeah, but, but for my kids, it, could, it doesn't even have to be uh, gaming. I have, I have four kiddos. They range from 5 to 17. And uh, it doesn't mm-hmm. even have to be gaming. You know, it might be one of them is talking to a friend. And uh, does she want a warning? I actually have no idea what my kids' preferences mm-hmm. are. Not a clue. I'm going to find out. I'm going to find yeah. out. <laughs> Ask them. Yeah. 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 Ask them. Do do you want me to let you know when it's five or ten minutes before whatever? Or just uh, you just want to know? Just rip that bandit off. Tell me it's time to go. Yeah. Or or for the 17 year old, you want me to drag you out of bed as we're leaving? Or Mm -hmm. (laughs) do you you want 10 minutes to get ready? (laughs) What is it? It might. It might change over time too. At least in the case of my son, he was the band aid guy early on. Man, I would. Hey, we're we're leaving soon. Turn off the game. And he'd be downstairs with his shoes and coat on before I'm even ready to go. He'd yeah. be like, "All right, sure, shut down, be all ready to go." Now he's, you know, I think more because he plays online games with friends. He kind of wants a little bit of that heads up so he can be like, "Hey guys, I got to wrap up last round," you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can change based on the game. Can change with time too. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, story-based games translates into a project or set of tasks in real life. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Bitemark says, I'm torn because I always want to know that things are coming, but knowing the amount of time would stress me out because I can't really sense time passage. That's a tough mm-hmm. one. We have talked about you in time passage before, Bitemark, too. Like, mm-hmm. sometimes whenever you can't figure out how much time has passed, it, that yeah, that would be a little bit stressful. Uh, yeah. Constantly kind of looking at the looking at the time to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I, that, I think that that's fantastic. So I don't, I'm sure not everyone is on Twitter. Like, I know that Fiona is not on Twitter at all. But if you haven't seen the tweet that I posted out about this QT gaming report, actually, let me pull it up. I wasn't prepared for this. Mm-hmm. Hang on. Okay. Hang on. I'll get there. Uh, so QT put out this gaming report in 2018, I believe. Oh, no, I've retweeted too many things today. Here we go. Here it is. There's the there's the report that I'm about to be referencing. If anyone would like to like to look at it today, um, so they put together a game report showing 89% of gamers feel like 
gaming is beneficial to themselves and to society as a whole. Um, are there any benefits that you can think of besides emotional well-being? I mean, we just talked about one with the with the social skill of figuring out how to connect with with parents and kids. But are there any other um, benefits, kind of, to society as a whole that gaming that gaming has in particular? Yeah, I think games provide. Uh, I think they can provide a needed escape. Um, there's uh, uh, a great book called The Storytelling Animal by Jonathan Gottschall, I think is his name. He's an English professor, and he uh, he talks about kind of how strange but also kind of incredible it is that we as, a, as an animal love to live in fantasy worlds, love to live in fiction. And he cited this one study that said something like 75% of our existence is spent in fantasy um, that if you include how long you sleep as well as just thinking what yeah. am i going to have for dinner dinner tonight you're not it's not having dinner yet you're plant you're just kind of i could have steak i could have macaroni and cheese i could have you're kind of off in fantasy you're just you're on the dot job you're daydreaming you're in traffic but not really thinking about traffic you're thinking about something else we spend so much of our time out of the present and i think that video games gives us a chance to kind of take control over that fantasy a little bit instead of just kind of mentally just wandering it's kind of purposeful wandering i'm going to live in this world for a moment in uh uh, uh you know in whatever world i'm going to play in i'm going to think about the rules that have been laid out for me the roles that i'm playing the purpose the the goal the whatever it is and i'm going to see how i can how what i can do here and I think that, uh, so aside from emotional well-being and social skills, I think that games provide us a bit of uh, a good sense of control over over things that we that we are motivating ourselves to control. Um, I can decide what, what I do with Mario. I can decide where I'm going to take him, what I'm going to do with him, whether I whether I kill that Goomba or just hop over him or whatever it is. I have control over what I do in that moment, and it's it's live. As soon as I hit a thing with my thumb, it registers on the screen. Um, if I want to decide with somebody what you know, what restaurant we're going to go to tonight, that's a discussion, and we go through a lot of different options. Like, well, I'm not really sure this, that, this, or that. But you know, again, when I'm playing a game, I'm I'm going to tell my character exactly what to do, and they're going to do it. And so it gives us that chance to kind of see what's it like to to play with control in this fantasy world. And I think that then can extend a little bit to our lives in terms of uh, giving us that satisfaction when, when life really is uncontrollable and it's vague and, and uncertain. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Fiona says, I, I needed escape. That's why I game. I use it to escape the vagueness of life, like you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier. And instead, I get to live in a world where I know how the rules work, feel confident in my knowledge or my ability to fail and try again. I, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, do you find that there are some parents who are more resistant to the idea that gaming can be a good thing? Yeah, I think there are definitely some parents who are kind of resistant to that. I think that um, it's been interesting. I've had I've had some parents who've been a bit challenging with that when I've uh, when I was still working in therapy and uh, and wanting to know what was going on with uh, you know within sessions that we were doing or how gaming was being used, especially if they thought gaming itself was pathological and they said, well, I don't want my kid playing games or as much or whatever. Um, you know, we we anticipated that in the in the gaming groups where we were co-facilitating. So there were two of us uh, therapists in the room. And with 10 minutes left in the session, one of us would fill out these feedback forms that we'd give to the kid to give to their parents in the waiting room. And we told the parents to look for them after every session. And that was to kind of 
uh, avoid the trap of, uh, you know, no matter what we did with controllers down, we had teams, we had all, you know, whole set, the whole 50 minutes was talking and playing and practicing and learning, discussing. It was, it was so rich. But they get in the car and they say, what'd you do today? And the kid says, we played Mario Kart. Thank so God, we, yeah. we anticipated <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. And the parents don't want to hear that. I'm paying all this money right. to send my kid to play Mario Kart. So we would send this feedback form of what was the purpose of the day? What did your kid learn? What they do well at? What they not do so well at? And so I think when it comes to parents and, and kind of having that challenge, again, it's about opening a discussion and trying to see their point of view, um, helping to bridge that gap and say, you know what, we're actually having about the same experiences here. Maybe you like seeing a movie 15 times, but this other person wants 15 different versions of the same action figure. They want 15 Batmans, you know, because there's Batman's been shown different way, you know, in different iterations across movies and comics. We all have, we all love to love things, but the things we love are just different. So how can we connect over that? that common ground that there, there are things that we just simply are passionate about and that there can be value in it. Why do you spend your time doing the things that you love? Well, if your kid loves gaming, we're going to try to use gaming to reach your kid and to help them to to grow as uh, as a person. Um, and parents, I think, kind of come on board once, the, once we open up the communication channels and know that what we're doing is... Um, uh, is based in science. What we're doing is uh, we're giving great feedback, and what we're doing is we're asking for feedback from parents that we know that we're uh, that we're doing good work. No, I think that's right. Have you had any resistance from? Um, well, I guess in a college setting, you might not know. Have, has there been any concerns raised by parents of your college students? Uh, Thankfully, my the parents of my college students generally don't reach out to me yeah. um, because of uh, of FERPA. Uh, I can't uh, I can't discuss a, a child or I should say an adult student's um, academic yeah uh, kind of, you know. So thankfully, there's that kind of wall of privacy whenever someone does reach out. Uh, where I get res where I've gotten maybe a tiny bit of resistance might be from the student themselves if they're like mm -hmm. I don't know, I don't game and I don't know any of this stuff. Um, in which case, maybe they'll drop the class, and that's fine. You know, where yeah. I teach, there's 110 sections of uh, different psychology classes every semester. So, find another one. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, other, the other 34 students are going to be happy here. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and uh, so, you know, they can, they have options. Uh, otherwise, uh, sometimes professors will kind of, like, I think don't give it credit. Um, I think there are certainly faculty who... Uh, place more value on things that sound serious because yeah. I, I want to use gaming or in some cases like gaming comics uh, I used to teach a class called geek culture and therapy and uh, and we would look at like geek culture and how can we kind of um, help people feel good about the things they love but also kind of learn within those worlds and how can I you know, learn different skills through gaming or how can I connect with characters in comics and things like that and, uh, and I think that there are certainly some faculty who would see, well, I think that there's more value in a course on, um, you know, children, who, you know, looking at children who are adopted from a third world country and adjusting to a first world country and, you know, whatever. Um, we're going to have a course that's all on that and family dynamics of those situations and stuff. And, and certainly there's, I'm not turning to, you know, saying anything bad at all sure, about that work, yeah. but there's something about some topics sound serious and some sound fun. And I think that there is going to be faculty administration, anybody in these settings that are going to resist things that sound fun because they think that it's not serious enough. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Can, I can see that. Mm -hmm. uh, going back a little bit, Bytemer says, I like to playing, I, I, I like playing games because the decisions I make can't really be the wrong decision. So I don't stress out 
uh, about it like I do with real life. That's a good point. And then Fiona says there's so much less penalty for failing and it takes less time and resources to come back from a failure. Also, she used to work at a university and thank God for FERPA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anytime a parent emails me, it's like, hey, um, class or whatever, I'll say, if you think your child you is enrolled in my class, they ha ask them to contact me directly through their school email address. Otherwise, yeah. I don't know who you're talking about. Right, <laughs> right. No. Uh, we have been here for about an hour, so everybody, including myself, will drink some water and... <laughs> you need to get up and stretch, get up and stretch. If you haven't eaten anything today, please eat something, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All the good things <clears throat> that I, you know, forget to do. <laughs> uh, so how have you helped? You know, you said in the, in the case of a student who doesn't really get what you're, what they're supposed to be doing or, um, <clears throat> or, a parent who doesn't really understand how playing Mario Kart for 50 minutes can be helpful. How do you help them overcome that misconception? That's a good question. It's something where the the feedback forms did did a lot, really did a lot mm -hmm. to, uh, to to show them that like that we're doing work. Um, there's a, a study that just came out a couple of years ago that found um, they uh, found people who held a negative opinion of M-rated video games, right? And so they're coming into the study, it's M-rated, it's garbage, I hate it. Yeah. And they asked that person to play an M-rated game for a period of time. I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but they basically played the game. And they found afterwards, of course, drastic shift in opinion. What used to be all these people, the, you know, all the participants said, we don't like these games. And by the end of it, they had a significant majority who now had a favorable opinion of those games, who went from no to yes. And I think that it's, you know, exposure and experience um, works wonders. And to show somebody and to say, this is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. This is, this is what we're doing. And it's not just silly playtime. Um, you know, parents who who only vaguely like maybe know the names of the games that their child's that their children play are really missing out on what it means to be experiencing those things. If you know your kid plays Fortnite, but you don't know what they do with Fortnite, you just know it's like, oh, something they just shoot stuff and play with their friends and there's houses or something they build. Um, if that's the complete extent of your knowledge of the game, um, you really don't know anything about it. Yeah. So you know, your your you and your your child are operating completely different wavelengths. And I think that personal investment, just a little bit of time either playing it or watching it, watching your child play and asking questions about it, curiosity, um, not only is going to help you understand things a bit better, it'll also strengthen the relationship with your child as you as you talk about their favorite thing. Imagine I usually say like imagine um, if every time you talk to your spouse about your favorite thing that they just turned away from you and said, oh, this thing again? Like, right. I don't care about this. Talk about these Marvel movies. I mean, you're going to talk about <laughs> Bat Batman and Superman, right? Oh, my God. And you're like, no, that's they're not in the Avengers. But you don't, you wouldn't get, right? If, if that's what your spouse is saying, you're going to learn pretty quickly. I don't really want to talk about these things with yeah. them. I need to find someone else who I should. So, right. but in a parent-child relationship, I mean, you're the only parents that they got so by uh by finding a way to connect with them over their favorite things will will work wonders to keep that relationship nice and strong yeah and then I, you'll see you'll see you'll see the benefit yeah yeah well i mean so a lot of the games that my kids play i do also play or i have played in the past i don't play fortnite anymore
anymore. But, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, I, I did play it for a while. And, you know, I sat down with my son the other day, and he was playing Tabs, which is Totally Accurate Battle Simulator. And mm-hmm. he was showing me how he could put down these different archers over here and then swordsmen over here. And then he had something that was like they were ships and they were being carried mm-hmm. by the. And so he showed me how the whole thing works. And then the other day he came in here and he he runs into the room and he goes, I just found a new, um, oh, what did you call it? A new, a new unit that without using any of the tricks on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And first of all, I'm thinking, OK, that's how every discovery used to be in games. <laughs> right (laughs) but also like i'm so glad that i can share in this excitement with you and understand what you're talking about because you you tell me you discovered a new unit in a game i'm like unit of what (laughs) yeah right yeah unit of measurement yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) right yeah and then uh you know my my daughter plays animal jam and i have i've tried to watch her play that i just don't get it but uh she has lots of friends who play that one so it's okay (laughs) yeah she also also plays minecraft so, so we can talk minecraft a little bit yeah perfect yeah mm-hmm. uh it oh <laughs> how amazing would it be if you get if you could save your life for a conversation if it doesn't go well load and go back and try again yeah no oh my god yeah, that would be amazing. Wish. That'd be absolutely amazing <laughs> uh my parents don't know the names of half the games i play very little interest in finding out that's my husband actually <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah. then and then Link Attack has another question. If you could wish a therapeutic or educational game into existence, what would it be? Ooh. Oh, my God. That is a good so, question. So I'm going to start with kind of a bad answer. Um, okay. I generally hate therapy games. Hate them. All There's right. like catalog- catalogs you can get, and it's all these different games, and they're all you know with someone, you know, doctor or whatever, as the author. And I personally hate them because of how transparent they are. Um, you know, every time you land on a triangle, share your feelings. And uh, we're going to see who can share their feelings by the, the most by the end. Um, I don't know. I kind of don't like that. And so I, the, the closest I get is to adapting an existing game into it in a therapeutic way. Um, so like Questions Jenga, that's really popular. So you actually play Jenga. It's just that every time you move a block, you can ask a question of the other person. And it goes both ways. So you can ask me, or ask your therapist, whatever. Anything you, you know, if I can ask you anything, you can ask me anything. Again, that's just my mindset is I'm, I'm fine being open with, with my clients. So, um, so yeah, we can do something like that. Uh, I've also done things where like we would make a board game. I kind of like doing that a lot with uh, the kids. Is that getting a big poster board, markers and stuff, and and uh, just draw like a simple Monopoly square, you know, mm-hmm. little squares on the outside, and then we take turns maybe filling in those boxes on different things. What do you want the square to say? Do you want to go forward? Do you want this to be like a, a school problem? It could be a math problem, and we can practice for your class. Or do you want to? Just do this, like, ask a personal question. Do you want to have, like, a talk about your day or, you know, or anything at all? Um, Name your favorite, whatever team. And so you can work on creating that together. So I think that, yeah, for the most part, a lot of these educational or, or like, therapeutic games end up being just um, a little too transparent. So I think Mm -hmm. that uh, I like adapting things. I think, so I'm going to go a slightly different way then and say that I would... um, I would love to figure out a way to adapt... I think something like Overwatch into something therapeutic because I think there's a lot of potential there. It's it as much as its core is a pretty simple um, esports kind of game. Mm-hmm. They have gr- great diversity of representation uh, across gender and sexual orientation and um, uh, uh, a nation of origin. Um, all you know, it's really really great and great voice acting. Um, I haven't 
tr I haven't used it in therapy and uh, I haven't really kind of thought my way through in terms of like how could it be used but I think I would love to use something like that especially with it becoming so big as an esport I would love to use something like that in therapy somehow I just haven't yeah I would, if I could wish that I would wish someone would be like just do this and then right. it would be great <laughs> yeah yeah I think that's great uh, Fee was saying the same, like, as you were speaking, she was saying, if there's a game that's too obviously, and then she said, yes, too transparent. I, I agree. So y'all were on the, mm -hmm. y'all were on the same wavelength there. Uh, mm -hmm. Hostway says emotional bingo. All right. Okay. I like it. Yeah. Uh, if you could change one thing about mental health, the mental health field or people's views of mental health professionals and educators, what would it be? Hmm. If I could change something about mental health field or how people view people in the mental health field, you know, a, a lot of people talk about the stigma, which unfortunately, of course, does still exist, that if we talk about mental illness, that it's somehow lesser than physical illness. Um, I, I wish uh, another kind of magic wand kind of thing that if I, if I could, I would, I would love for people to take um, emotional sick days or mental health sick days. Mm -hmm. Um, to be just just as necessary and just as sort of question free as physical sick days. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not. I don't want to go so far because this this could be a, a different discussion of like allocating more days for one over the other or like increasing vacation days. That's uh, that's all based on on all bigger factors. But I think that if uh, say I had you know ten days that I could use for for being sick, um, that if I call and I say I'm going to use a sick day whether it's mental health day or physical sick day or whatever it, it shouldn't matter and if uh if an employee or a co-worker or somebody uh, anybody asks about it i would love to be able to say you know, i just need a mental health day and for it to be like oh yeah i gotcha i hear it you know totally yeah. understand um and not have this kind of like oh so like you weren't really sick or oh it's just you just kind of you just wanted a day off or you know there's there's sometimes can be a little bit of an attitude around requesting something like that versus like while I was throwing up, you know, if, uh, yeah. if I was throwing up, you wouldn't want me at work. Well, if I'm crying uncontrollably, you probably don't want me at work either. So do you, do you really want, do you really prefer one or the other? I mean, how mm -hmm. about just feel well and I don't want to come in. So I would love for that to be uh, something a bit more kind of, kind of commonplace. Yeah. I, I think that that's fantastic. Joe says I had one of those a few weeks ago. What, so did you tell your coworkers about it, Joe? Did you... Did you let them in that it was kind of an emotional health day or did you keep it quiet? Because I feel like, at least for me, if I take a day for my mental health because I'm having a hard time, I'm having kind of a dark day, um, that's not something that I probably am going to am gonna say. I'm just going to say, no, I, I was sick and just right. leave it at that because I don't think that a lot of people would understand uh, me saying, no, I was just, I was really depressed and couldn't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Or they might under, they might think that they understand that, but then they're going to go to a like, oh, like, it, that means this over here because I knew someone who was depressed and it was exactly like this. And so that's exactly how she was that day. And like, it's just mm -hmm. so different for each individual. So definitely. Exactly. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, Bite Mark has a question. How do you feel about games like, oh God, I'm going to mispronounce that. Gris? Grease? There are others that I can't think of any at the moment where the whole game is kind of progressing through mental troubles. I have not heard of that game. Mm, I don't think I've heard of it either. I'm not, uh, I don't have the chat in front of me, so I'm not sure how it's spelled. G-R-I-S. 
Greece, uh, Greece. Yeah, no, I haven't heard of that game. Um, I'm trying to think of like mental health games that maybe I know off the top of my head. Um, I remember Psychonauts, but that was that was just fun. That was a great <laughs> game a long time ago. It was these little little cosmonauts going in your brain. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think really a, a lot of games that have good character development are going to bring in those personal troubles. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. just uh, kind of briefly speaking to um, like a like, you know, circle way back to when we talked about those D&D characters that they're not very interesting if life goes great. So when you have a, a story-driven game, if you have something like The Last of Us, um, it starts out with a traumatic event so you know where Joel is coming from. This person you're going to be controlling for the majority of the game it has to set the stage for not just what kind of a world is this game set in, but what did this guy go through? Mm -hmm. And it's, I, I was, that was, I couldn't believe that was, I can't remember any other game that I had to pause so soon into it to kind of like deal with the emotions of that moment that happens. Yeah. I'm purposely not spoiling it just in case someone still hasn't played it because it's an incredible game. Um, but to have to sit there and think like, God, what would this be like in my life? And, um, I think that when you can make it real, I think part of making it real is is giving people is bringing real problems kind of into that video game setting that gives us something to relate to in some regard or to at least like wonder about what if this happened to me. Um, and those are it's more realistic when we have a, a variety of issues that really affect who that person is, and it doesn't affect you as much if it's just physical issues you know just just physical illness i should say you know yeah. um or if you're just some big buff guy who's just shooting all day and stuff you know and uh, some faceless person um the more we get to know the character at least in story driven games the more we know the character the more we're gonna know them as as kind of inhuman you know humane ways i should say yeah mm -hmm. uh hostway said we played through it on geek therapy we play you play through the five stages of grief okay all right yeah. and then by mark's got a couple links in there that's good it's a Great. pretty platformer. She has her fear manifest as a flock of dark birds that chase her. Ooh, interesting. Okay. All right. Um, Joe said, I started crying at the copier, had to leave the teller line. My head tailor came back to check on me and said, go home and relax. That's great. That's mm -hmm. great. Like for them to yeah. just say, hey, you just need to go home and, and take care of things. Like, it's okay. <laughs> I think that that's mm -hmm. fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um. Also, Hostway said earlier, Emotional Bingo is a real game available in one of those catalogs uh, Dr. O'Connor mentioned. Okay, not fun. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, does, if, does anybody else have any questions for our wonderful guests? I just want to say thank you for being here. I really appreciate your time tonight. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I hope that this helped. Uh, I know that you have a website, comicspedia.net. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah. A little bit about what it is yeah. and what you do with it? Sure, yeah. Uh, it's important that it's comicspedia.net because someone is squatting on comicspedia.com. So oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it has been for like 10 years. So um, no, comicspedia.net, it's uh, just like comics, plural. There's no X or weird letters, comics, and then pedia, like Wikipedia. Um, comicspedia is, uh, I have a blog there, and I have, uh, I, I used to this uh, uh, geek therapy database, but now you can go to geektherapy.com and you can see it there. But uh, what Comicspedia was in its inception was a, a database of comic book issue summaries, and those summaries were tagged with themes to help therapists bring comics into therapy. There were 16 themes, and some of them were like difficult decisions or being different 
or family or losing a loved one. And basically what I would do is I would read these comics and if there was a prevalent theme, it really had to be pretty significant in the story, not just like a, a corner of one page. Um, if it was central to the story, I would tag it with one of those themes and, and type up about 300 words or less kind of summary and put it in there. The idea being that if you're working with a kid who, uh, use myself as an example, 12-year-old kid whose parents are getting divorced and they like X-Men, and they feel like that they're the only ones in school who's going through this this loss of, of the family being broken up, um, some of those themes could be losing a loved one, some of those mm -hmm. themes could be different. So you go to Comicspedia, you can click on one of those themes, like being different, and scroll down and you'll see every comic in that database that's tagged with it and find the X-Men issues and they'll tell you what the issue number is, when it was published. So you can go to your comic book store and say, because they're often very, very helpful, and say, I need help locating these mm -hmm. like two or three issues. And you can bring that in a session and read them with your client together. And you can talk about um, how does the client connect with the different characters in the story because often it's easier for the clients to relate to someone like Wolverine or Superman or Wonder Woman or Batgirl than it is to relate to this person they met maybe just a few weeks ago. Um, you know, Batman's, I love using Batman as an example because Batman's been around, you know, everyone's whole lives. And so uh, he's been around in, in your, in, in my client's life longer than I ever will be. So mm -hmm. there's gonna be a lot more familiarity there. If we could talk about it through him, fantastic and so that's the, the purpose of Comicspedia is to provide that database it's almost 300 issues in the uh, wow. in the database yeah and you could just go through and, and kind of pick out what uh, what comics do you think are going to work with your clients I have ideas for therapy in there not just like the reading but how to create uh, characters or stories or change stories and all kinds of resources in there to help uh, and some teachers have used it too I've had teachers talk to me about bringing it in the classroom um, so yeah, it could be for therapy, could be in education, basically a way to get comics, um, uh, to be a bit more useful in, in helping us learn and grow. I think that's great. And it provides something that, you know, might be really relatable to their client, right? Also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for um, sure. So Bite Mark has a question. Is there a way to find therapists that use games in this way? Um, yeah, use, uh, uh, a couple different ways. There's, a. uh, you can follow Geek Therapy. You can ask uh, anybody who's involved with the Geek Therapy Network. Um, there's a Geek Therapy community on Facebook, depending on your involvement in, in mental health services or, or being a client. Um, there's uh, uh, some some people have been working on like a directory of sorts of like what's a you know names, contact information of different therapists across the country who are geek friendly. Uh, I'm honestly not sure if that's been fully populated. Uh, Jay Card might be able to speak to that host way if he's still in chat. Um, maybe able to comment on that. But um, it's, it's honestly, finding a therapist is both really easy and extremely difficult. Psychologytoday.com has a find a therapist button. You can go there to find the therapist. But, but often they'll just talk about their educational background and some really vague spiel of like, I help people connect with each other and, and learn how to find themselves again. It's all the same thing. Um, so it's kind of hard to tell the difference between, yeah, between people. If you can look up private practices in your area and kind of look for bios of, uh, of things, you can usually get a feel for what those therapists look like, like feel like, what their personalities are going to be like, and that could be helpful too. Um, but yeah, I would say maybe connect with uh, uh, the Geek Therapy Twitter account, um, and you know, they can likely help you find someone who's uh, who's geek friendly. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, I did put a link to comicspedia.net and geektherapy.com. Please don't go to the first one that I post exists.org and those three last letters do matter. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to talk about geektherapy.com at all? Uh, yeah, well, just it's uh, something my good friend Josue started uh, back in, I think it was 2011. Uh, he'll probably hit me if I said that wrong. But no, it's, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it really, it was uh, 2011 he started that. And it was a way to help people uh, connect with one another. He had his podcast that he started at that time too, um, helping helping therapists who are using geek culture somehow positively in session, using games and comic books, sci-fi or um, uh, or anything really to, to help connect with our clients. If there's a way that we can connect with one another through a network, then we can learn from one another. We can collaborate and stuff. So that's how I, um, I'm an author. I wrote chapters in uh, a few different books I'm looking up because I have them above me. Um, <laughs> the Walking Dead Psychology, uh, Star Trek Psychology, Game of Thrones Psychology, just name a few. Um, I did, I've done that through meeting people through the Geek Therapy Network. And, uh, and so it's a great... Uh, uh, it's really been a wonderful tool for helping professionals find each other as well as to promote different ideas and conduct research on um, using geek culture in, in positive ways to kind of collaborate with one another. Um, so there's a, a wealth of resources. Uh, there's a database of, of activities you can do that some of my previous students have, have contributed to of how to use kind of geek, um, geek affirmative uh, activities in therapy with like a procedure and materials, how-to troubleshooting, um, resources at the bottom, like uh, academic resources to kind of, you know, show like how, like uh, that there's there's science behind it or some kind of research behind it. Um, yeah, there's a ton of resources on uh, on geek therapy. I th I think that that's fantastic. And Josue said, yeah, to reach out, reach out to Geek Therapy and we'll help out. I, th I think that's fantastic. Like these things, you know, a lot of people just don't even know exist. And it's opportunities like this that let us kind of kind of get to know all of that and spread it out. Um, mm -hmm. It's a it's a general question, but also personals are going to be moving soon and going to need a new therapist. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that'll that'll be a really good resource for you there. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Right there. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I posted the uh, Geek Therapy Twitter account. So let me do that real quick, too. Is there mm -hmm. anything else that you want to share with the audience that we have here? Anything you want to you throw in that maybe you didn't get a chance to talk about? <laughs> um, you know, there was actually one thing just because I had like a, a piece of paper with like notes on it just in case yep, I like, forgot something. Yeah that um uh it was actually just one thing left which was that um back to jane mcgonagall and what she had said about about games and uh when she did super better and reality is broken is that she she says that there are four components to a game uh, every game has a goal it has rules it has a feedback system and voluntary participation and when i was thinking about using gamification in higher education I thought, well, what are the four components of higher education? There's a goal. I want to get this class done or a degree or whatever. Yeah. There are rules. That's your syllabus, the projects you have to do to get that grade. Feedback system. That's, of course, what you're getting back from the grades of uh, on the papers or the you know whatever work you're doing. And voluntary participation. Unlike K through 12, when you're in college, you're there by choice. Mm -hmm. And just like in a game, if you're like, you know what? Not for me today. I don't want to play this game today, so I'm not going to. Every day there's college students who are like, you know what? Not today. I'm not going to go to class. But, <laughs> yeah. but what that means is that when you do go to class, it's because you want to be there to some extent. You want to connect with those courses. You want to get that grade. You want to learn whatever it is that you're there for. 
And I think that using gamification, because those four components of a game absolutely define what higher education is, I think gamification is an absolutely natural component and like companion piece to higher education. And I wish that so many more professors would adopt it and try out not just ha having students play games, but actually designing the course, the grading system and everything around a game kind of uh, a game design centric um, uh, piece. Because again, I think they, they just go together perfectly. Absolutely. Uh, don't forget to mention that Dr. O'Connor is a member of the Geek Therapy stream team here on Twitch. Yes, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. we, we got that in early. <laughs> we got mm -hmm. that in earlier. Uh, okay. oh, so next question by Bite Mark is DC or Marvel? Um, uh, DC. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Um, sorry for the Marvel people. My oldest has been subscribed mm -hmm. to, oh gosh. Oh no! Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna mess up the name of whatever it is. But it's a DC it's a DC comic. He's been subscribed to it for years, 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 mm -hmm. years. Yeah, um, I'm I'm like Marvel in the movies, but DC in the comics. Like honestly, I've tried so many different Marvel comics, and honestly, like none of them really stuck. But I can read DC comics like all day long. Um, but of course, the Marvel movies I, I generally like a lot more than the uh, DC movies. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, there you go. The, oh, look, oh, just a shout out. There you go. I was like, wait, do we have a link for that? But there, just, just a shout out. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Thank you, by Mark. I appreciate you, though. Uh, D&D or B&E? Frost, that's not a real question. It's it's breaking and entering, obviously. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> not really. We do, we do not condone breaking the law on this stream. <laughs> no. Especially not when we have a guest, okay? <laughs> Please. Was there talk about the game Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice? I hear that's centered around schizophrenia or something. I've not heard of that game. Have you have you heard of that game at all? I've heard of it. I I know some some friends have played it. Um I, I remember sound, thinking it sounded really interesting, but I, I personally haven't played it. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's fine. Yeah, we haven't we haven't really talked about that. We did an episode episode of Headshots. Oh, on Geek Therapy. I like it. I like it. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, I don't have any more questions in the queue. So I just want to say that I really appreciate you being here and taking the time out of your day. Um, I know that this this time of the day isn't always great for people who work kind of a, a day job. So I appreciate you being here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I yeah, hope it's that, glad to be uh, here. Yeah, I, ho I hope that you you found the experience to be as wonderful as i did uh, i love that i love these interviews yeah it's, it's so much fun i love all the questions too that the yeah. the viewers have come up with they're they're fantastic yeah we have a we have a thank you for being here the discussion was wonderful and educational mm -hmm. so there you go